Hi, this is Peter Schwartz, public address announcer for the Cosmos, and you're listening to the First Team Podcast. Hello, Cosmos Country. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Chris Kessel, fan of the beautiful game and an active member in his local community. A lot of fans on social media talk about the problems in U.S. soccer, but never seem to make a difference within the game. Chris Kessel has put his name in the race. He has officially announced that he will run for U.S. soccer vice president. I've uh, always tried to live my life. If I'm gonna, if I think something needs to be changed, I'm gonna go out there and and try to do it, you know, whether that was personally or professionally or, you know, now in this space of governance, which I've never, you know, I had never stepped into until the last few years when it comes to, you know, governance and soccer. And it's it's been a uh, an exciting and, um, you know, kind of wild experience the last few years. Can you please share with the listeners your experience within the game? Well, you know, uh, I started playing soccer when I was five, Mm -hmm. just like um, everybody else, you know, in my friend group. It was the late 70s in, you know, kind of rural West Virginia, which people probably wouldn't think that we had soccer back then, but I was a part of that explosion that, you know, happened everywhere. And I played all the way through my childhood, all the way through high school and, you know, played a little bit after that, you know, when it just in local leagues and things like that, I didn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, an exceptional player or anything. I just loved playing. And um, I coached a little bit then. You know, I had a younger brother, and I coached his team. And then, um, you know, I, I remained a fan, but obviously it was not hard to be a fan of soccer in the United States in the 90s. You know what I mean? It was hard to find the sport on TV or anything. And I just uh, had a professional career all through that time. I was, I've, you know, been involved with, in the nonprofit world, I was a 4-H agent. I mean, you know, it's a a youth organization through um, land-grant universities. It's uh, the world's largest youth organization, actually. And, um, and then I worked with, at the, uh, with the homeless community in a homeless shelter. Mm-hmm. And during this time of, you know, I had three children of my own, and um, I didn't want to coach my own kid. So I just was a dad on the sidelines, just like a lot of us. You know, get up and watch the Premier League in the morning and go to my daughter, oldest daughter's games, you know, later on in the day. 
probably hundreds of thousands of, you know, of your listeners, you know what I mean? And um, then I just, uh, the coach decided he didn't want to coach anymore, and I was pressed into service, just like everybody else that, you know, is a coach, you know, for their kids' team. Yeah. And when I started doing that, it was just like, okay, if I want to do this, you know, I'm going to be the best coach that I can be. So I started learning, you know, figuring out how to coach because how to play and how to coach are different things. And then I started taking courses and I started, you know, reading and watching every video that I could and I went through the U.S. soccer, um, you know, uh, coaching education and I got my E license and my D license and I took some other classes and, you know, and I just kept going and kept going. And uh, I started noticing that um, a lot of other coaches didn't really know the process on how to get educated. So I started working with the state to host coaching education things, you know, at events for the, uh, the neighborhood club that I was coaching for. And I just went from there, and that's how I got so involved with the coaching education aspect of mm-hmm. um, with, of soccer in this country, you know, because I participated in it, and I've tried to do my best to help bring other people into the fold and, you know, and help them become better coaches. And while I was doing all that, another local neighborhood club needed, like their president was stepping down, and I knew a person involved with the league. And they were like, Chris, I think this is a perfect opportunity for you. Will you go and talk to them and um, consider being the president of the club? And I was like, yeah, sure, you know, no problem. And I uh, went and spoke to them, and they were like, if you want it, you can have it. And I was like, okay, awesome, I'll, I'll do it, I want to do it. And... um as a child, I'd actually played against this club, and it had been a really quality organization, and it had just uh, fallen on really hard times. And when I took it over, it actually only had 13 kids in it. Wow. It, it, had, it had shrunk, you know, 95% from its peak. And um, so I just worked really hard, and I used my experience in recruiting volunteers professionally and recruiting children through my – you know, like I said, through being a 4-H agent, like, you know, running camps and after-school programs and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we've built it up to uh, around 135 kids. And um, we've actually added um, adult teams to the club. And we have, you know, adult players, you know, and, and everything. So worked really hard to grow the club. And we're actually hoping to be able to offer – this coming spring, everything from U4 to U19 for the first time, and I couldn't tell you how long for the for our little youth club. And with working with that, I was involved in the league that the club plays in since I was on the board of the league. Since I'm the president of the club, I'm on the, the league's board. There's a lot of pro You know, I don't want to say problems, but I just felt like things needed to be ran differently. I didn't think that the uh, – that a lot of the things that were going on when it came to um, pushing education and offering, um, you know, uh, the best atmosphere and everything that we could for all the kids was happening. The president 
of the league. It was up for election. And he was like, Chris, you're really passionate. He was like, you know, I've been doing this for a while. If you want to run for it, I'll, you know, I want you to have it. You know, I think you'd be a perfect president for the league. So I was like, okay, I want to do that. So then next thing you know, I'm the president of the league. We have 10 clubs in it. We have well over 3,000 players in the league. And um, from there, I was working on some adult stuff, like I said, you know, adding adult teams to the youth clubs. I got involved with working with the state, with the West Virginia Soccer Association. And um, from just showing up and doing the work, when it was time for elections, the uh, for the U.S. Soccer, AGM, I was on an adult soccer committee, and the uh, VP of adult soccer was like, I can't go. Chris, I want you to go in my place. So I was able to participate in the AGM. And, um, you know, if anybody follows me on Twitter or, you know, social media or whatever, I was a huge Eric Winalda opponent. And um, so I had the experience of going to the AGM and seeing how um, the sausage was made, basically. You know, participating in an election and advocating for somebody and seeing how the voting process worked and the behind the scenes and talking to other voters and things that, you know, you don't really get a handle on just from watching it from the outside. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it really opened my eyes. And uh, I, won a, I won an actual spot on the board of West Virginia Soccer a couple months after that, after that at the, uh, as opposed to just being on an adult soccer committee. I actually won a position on the board for West Virginia Soccer. So now I'm the president of a club, the president of a league, and on the board for West Virginia Soccer. And that's basically how I got to today. You know, you know it was a, a wild ride of just basically saying, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it to the best of my abilities. You know, there's the easy way, and then there's the best way. And I've been trying to do it the best way since I started. Yeah, and a lot of fans, they should get involved in their local soccer community because there's two different things, right? Just sitting on the couch and watching games on TV and being uh, the soccer coach or being the local fan supporting your local soccer team. What is the process to officially submit your campaign for U.S. Soccer Vice President? So uh, the way that that works is the exact way that um, it worked for the uh, running for president. You have to have um, three three letters of nomination from voting members. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a state youth or an adult association, um, there are uh, some members of like the athlete council or the pro league council. You have to get three letters of nomination, and uh, before December the uh, 18th, and you have those submitted, and then you submit those along with your formal request to run. And then they do a background check on you to make sure, I guess, that you're not a criminal. And then uh, then you're formally on the ballot to run for vice president. So did you get your uh, nominations yet from the state association? I, I am partway there. I have, uh, I have some in the bag, but I need a little bit more. And I've been having some really great meetings this last week on the phone mm-hmm. because I don't, you know, 
have the money to fly all across the country. Yeah, yeah. But I've been having some great phone, you know, meetings with different state associations and great conversations. And um, I'm very confident by the uh, by the the time that they're required, I will have the uh, the letters. See, some state associations they just feel like they want to just sit and just take your money, right, and just continue going on. But some really want change. Uh, what has been your take on the state association so far? Well, um, you know, I think that uh, something that's that's happened over the last few years is uh, I've kind of softened. When I first got into governance, I mean, for lack of a better term, I was a lot of spit and vinegar. And um, I think that a lot of it is is people really go – hey, kids are playing soccer or, you know, adult amateur teams are playing soccer. Why do we need to change? Yeah. You know, it's it's more of a you have to show me why we have to change, you know, more than, you know, I'm a jerk and I'm trying to get over on people. You know what I mean? Yeah. So a lot of it is just the conservative nature of, hey, you're asking me to do a whole lot more work here if we do X, Y, Z thing. I've been had a lot of these people reaching out to me all across the country after they've read my my letter that I sent to a lot of people, and they're like, "This is exactly what we need." You know, it's it's concise. Let's let's get after it here, and um, that's why I'm confident that I think you know that I'll get these letters of nomination and I'll be on the ballot because I think that. They want to see this change. There's enough people out there that want to see this change that they're going to continue pushing for it. Whether or not I win is a totally different question, but they want to see these discussions continue to happen. There were more discussions to me during the um, the presidential election at the AGM than maybe ever in the history of U.S. soccer yeah. about governance. You know, and I think a lot of people involved with running the game in this country want to continue to see these discussions happen because the only way that change is going to happen is, is you know, pressure keeps building and pressure and pressure and pressure until it actually does happen. Yeah, and it's just about bringing up these discussions and these topics within mainstream media as well, right? Because half of these people don't want to talk about it, but... If they hear, well, someone's running for U.S. soccer vice president and he wants to talk about it, well, they have to report on it, right? So I guess that's right. the most important thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, just having you know a platform and having it shared and reported on by these writers allows the people that are that are U.S. soccer, which are its associations, you know, its players, you know, the parents of the players. You know, everybody that's a part of it, everybody that's a member, you know, every member of every state association is what U.S. soccer is. The more that they see this stuff, the more that it's in front of them, the more that the conversation grows and the more legitimacy the conversation has. You know, it's like something that I think that I think a lot of people, when they hear reform, they think radical. You know, that's radical. You want to change things. I think if you look at the coaching education platform, mm -hmm. you know, the first, you know, 
I don't know, you know, how much you, if you've really, really read it, but the first thing, you know, is just the change in how we do coaching education as opposed to just coaching licenses. Let's actually, you hear people across all spectrums of the game say, we need better coaching education. Currently, all we offer is coaching licenses. Let's actually offer coaching education. I don't think that that's radical. Everybody says that we need it. Let's do it. The second part is transparency. Mm-hmm. I mean, none of the things in that are radical. Those are best practices. I mean, you know, um, the the gentleman, uh, Mr. Copton, that, that wrote up the framework there that I shared, you know, he's a good governance expert. Like, this isn't radical. This is best practices for the nonprofit world. And the last thing, having a strategic plan, U.S. soccer is a $150 million, you know, has $150 million in the bank. I think that having a strategic plan seems pretty not radical. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine working for a nonprofit of this scope that doesn't have a strategic plan. You know, I think that not having a strategic plan is more radical than having one when you're at this size. You know, it's, it's, I don't think that anybody that looks at this stuff, this, these three areas of reform, would go, this is radical. I, I don't know if I can be a part of that. I mean, it's just simple, common sense to me, you know, steps to do right by the game in this country. Yeah, they have $150 million sitting in the bank. And uh, I remember when Snow Galati was U.S. soccer president, he was like, oh, we want to build a national training center. Do we really need that? You know what I mean? No. No, we don't. The country's massive. It's never going to be in a great position anyway. So it just does not make sense. No matter where you put it, it's far away from almost everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, 90% of the people don't live near it, you know. Eliminating for-profit funneling, I think that's the most important part. Eliminating uh-huh. contracts such as TV deals, jersey sponsorships between non-for-profit United States Soccer Federation and for-profit leagues, unless the league is in an open league system with promotion and relegation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because that's basically picking winners and losers. Some point in the future, which I would like to see, I think a lot of most people would like to see it, but currently we don't have it. There is an open system that's different. Everybody is then participating in it, and everybody will reap the rewards of the commingling of the national teams and, you know, the two pyramids, a men's and a women's pyramid. And, um, you know, currently, if they choose to commingle the money with one league, it locks out all of the other leagues, you know, from the benefits of being partnered with the national team. And that's, you know, that's not good governance. You know, that's picking winners and losers, and I don't, you know, that's not right. Mm-hmm. Do you think the United States Soccer Federation should implement a player minimum wage? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't think so. Basically, if uh, we do that, then we are, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to, to describe to me, but mm-hmm. if, like, let's say NPSL Pro you know, there's a player, you know, because they are paying players, they would have to abide by whatever rule U.S. soccer 
deems about professional contracts, it may make it impossible for some clubs to make the jump to paying players. And I would rather players get paid, even if it's not enough to survive, than not get paid. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the whole point of a minimum wage would be to force league sanctioned by the United States Soccer Federation to pay their players a living wage, right? Well, you know, that then we come back to the question of are the professional league standards there to um to actually promote the game or to hinder the growth of clubs because if we make it cost prohibitive for some markets to be able to to have players, mm-hmm. you know, what does that mean for smaller communities? Like, does it cost? Is a living wage in Louisville the same as a living wage in New York? And I don't really think that they are. That based on, you know, local, you know, local cost of living index. I mean, like, you know, this it's. I'm just not really for telling clubs to hand, how to handle their business, to be honest. So how like would you? Seems, yeah. So how that seems more like a, uh, a, a if the players want to get together and make a union, mm-hmm. you know, like USL just did, then that's really a un, a players' union issue. The player wage issue really appears to only be an issue within USL, and they just started a union last month. So I think that maybe if we allow the USL Players Union to mm-hmm. at least negotiate its first contract, we can see if the issue would need to be revisited from a federation level. You know, because yeah. we might end up with, you know, living wage or close to living wage requirements for USL, at least 12-month contract. Now, like, if we want it, the federation probably should say, that a professional contract is a 12-month contract and that it probably would be smart if in some way the federation could negotiate with all of the players' unions because right now there's three, right, because NWSL has one, uh, USL has one, and MLS has one, to uh, work together to create a larger pool for um possible health insurance and things like that, you know, that seems like federation jobs to me, working to bring as many people to the table as possible to benefit as many of the players as possible. Yeah, bringing all the stakeholders together rather than um, just not talking to them altogether. Uh, But we have some listener questions for you, Chris. Uh, The first one comes from at Paul underscore Dawkins. He says, how much resistance do you expect to face from the establishment and how do you plan to sway public opinion to your side, given the growing apathy towards the U.S. men's national team and the United States Soccer Federation over the last year? Well, you know, I'm sure that the establishment, I mean, is going to put forth a candidate. You know, I'm yeah. obviously not an establishment candidate. and um, That's a good thing. Uh, you know, so I'm sure that they're they're going to put forth somebody and put their machine behind them, which, you know, obviously they have the ability to get people elected. You know, they've done it consistently now for, you know, 20 years, and, you know, it's going to be a very steep,
steep uphill climb to uh, to win this election. And um, the the byproduct of making sure that there is a candidate running against the establishment, though, is having these discussions and um, making sure that the things that need to be talked about are talked about. And, you know, even if I don't win, there's going to be another election in a year. If I win, there's another election in a year. If I don't win, there's another election for vice president in a year. This is only to, you know, do um, Carlos's remaining term. So this is only for a one-year slot. And, um, you know, so a year from now, if things – if I lose and things still haven't changed, hopefully somebody else will run or maybe I'll run again. And um, there will be even more pressure. Eventually things have to change. Carlos ran on a platform of – you know, systemic change. And, you know, currently he hasn't delivered that. And, uh, you know, this term will be shorter than the amount of time it took for them to hire, you know, Burhalter. So, you know, it, it hopefully, hopefully people will look at this and go, all right, let's give this guy a chance. Let's see what he can do in a year. And if not, we can get somebody else, you know, and replace him. The next question comes from Benito. USA Baseball, USA Football are non-for-profit governing bodies that do not control professional leagues like the United States Soccer Federation does. But most of all, professional leagues, how or what can Chris do to change that? Well, I mean, it, it is the Federation's job to uh, manage how the leagues are structured. We have the professional league standards. They could be changed at any point in time. You know, the way that the pyramid is or... We could have dual pyramids, or we could have no pyramid, or we could have whatever. I mean, that is what the U.S. Soccer Federation's job is. That's their task given from CONCACAF and FIFA, is to, you know, manage the game in this country. And, um, you know, I don't necessarily think that U.S. soccer needs to get out of the way. I just think that they need to do a better, more equitable job of making sure that they're working to help everybody as opposed to just select stakeholders in the organization. Do you agree with the professional league standards? Because you mentioned earlier that maybe a smaller market can't become a professional team because the professional league standards dictate that they have to have a certain amount of people in their market. Um, so they basically right. hold teams back from making this step up. Yeah, no, I, I am uh, the way that the professional league standards as structured now they are a hindrance mm -hmm. to uh, the growth of the game in this country. So, no, I am not a fan of the professional league standards, and um, I think that we need to do how we manage um, the league system differently. Mm -hmm. So the next question comes from Nicholas. Out of the three new leagues, MPSL Pro, NISA, and USL D3, which do you feel will survive and sustain growth? Also, which will have the better impact on player development for the men's national team? Um, you know, the thing is, is like until we see them in action, we don't really know. And um, I'm rooting for more soccer. You know, at the yeah. end of the day, I'm rooting for more soccer. And um, I'm personally the most interested in watching how NPSL Pro works because it is trying something different 
yeah. it is trying to exist outside of the professional league standards and it is trying to do something in a different way and um we've been doing soccer the same way for a long time now and watching somebody step outside of the box and try something new is very very intriguing to me and um so you know, which one is going to help develop more players for the men's national team? I mean, we don't know. We don't know if any of these teams – we don't know anything about any of the teams and whether they're going to play young players or or anything. So, you know, that kind of question, we can't answer that. But, you know, I am the most interested in watching NPSL Pro because I'm, I want to see what they do and how this works from working outside of the structure – that everybody else is trying to exist in. Uh, another question from Nicholas. Why hasn't there been more involvement in the indoor game in futsal? Um, you know, I don't I don't really follow indoor soccer, so mm-hmm. I can't really answer that. And actually, I don't even think that indoor soccer is sanctioned through the Federation. But mm-hmm. um, futsal, I'm actually a huge proponent of futsal. Um, you it's know, really exciting to watch. Yeah, it's super fun to watch. And, you know, about a little over three years ago, about three and a half years ago, I actually raised money in the community and got together a bunch of volunteers, and we converted an old basketball court into a futsal court at an elementary school right downtown in Charleston here. And um, I host like a uh, – a well, me and a couple other guys, we host a, uh, a weekly free futsal meetup every week, and we have for over three years straight. And um, I love futsal, like – I, I tell people all the time, like, I wish I would have found this game when I was a kid because it's it's super fun to play, mm-hmm. and, like, it's a great way to um, introduce kids to the game. You know, you can play in tennis shoes, and you can get out there and you're just playing on a basketball court or, or whatever, and, you know, it's amazing. And uh, I hope to see the Federation, you know, help develop futsal. You know, because it is such a great way for inner-city kids to get introduced to the game. You know, like, I think we can all agree that there just isn't enough outreach. You know, there are bright you know, there are bright stars and pockets of outreach for inner-city kids to play soccer and for rural kids to play soccer and for kids who aren't wealthy to play soccer. But, you know, futsal, you know, is a way that the Federation could really, really help get lots of kids, you know, that otherwise wouldn't be exposed to the game, exposed to the game, and I would love to see that happen. Yeah, for sure, and the last question comes from at NYC Sports Punk. Does Chris know who he will be going up against? Um, currently, there are no other announced candidates. Now, there, there are rumors about who's going to announce, but um, as of right now, nobody has came out and publicly said that they are running as well, so... No, I don't know who I'm going to be running against. Can you please share what you need from the listeners, right? Do you just need their support? I think I saw on Twitter that you need them to write a letter or talk to uh, their local uh, soccer officials. Yeah, uh, you know, there's two things I would like to see everybody do. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, first for this election, you know, just talk to your club or if you're the direct, you know, if you run a club, talk to your state association and ask them to support me. You know, it's that simple. Send them the letter that I that I wrote, the my little platform, and um, ask them to read it over and ask them to support me. Mm-hmm. And um, the second thing is is post-election, you know, where if you have an election coming up in your club, 
I want to see people who want to see change do the same thing I did, just step up and say, you know what, I want things to be done differently, and I want I want to be in charge of the club, or I want to be on the, the league's board, or I want to run for an open position at the state association, and just go do it, because new blood is needed everywhere. And um, a lot of times, as I've shown through my experience here, if you're you know, if you're really about it and you want to go and do things and work hard and make change, you know, the people will let you if you go and do it. You just have to go and run and show that you want to be it. And I would love to see your listeners do it, you know, just like I did. And if we have a wave of new blood, you know, coming from the grassroots up, you know, eventually change the change that we all want to see is going to happen. Lastly, Chris, do you know when the official vote will take place? Yeah, at the uh, at the AGM coming up here in a few months in uh, Arizona. Okay, sounds good. We wish you best of luck, and we'll stay in touch. All right, thank you. Thanks to Chris Kessel for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. You can follow him on Twitter at the Chris Kessel. I like to wish him best of luck in the race for the United States Soccer Federation Vice President. You can follow First Team Podcast on Twitter and on Facebook at First Team Pod. Check out our website, firstteampod.com. If you want to email the show on what we have discussed in this week's episode, you can email the show at firstteampod at gmail.com, and I will read out your email on next week's episode. This weekend is the MPSL AGM, so on next week's episode, we will have the fallout from the annual general meeting. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. I really appreciate it, and as always, let's go New York Cosmos. Yeah, just want to give a shout out to the five points. The Borough Boys, I've been to Cosmos and the Cross Island yeah. crew. Uh, yeah, it's New York Street and White. What we bleed, you see and fight. Indeed, it seems to be achieving. See, we do and did it right. Cosmo country loving, we above them. I'm just saying. All those lovely somethings come and see it and I'm playing. The fact of it is, the rap from tear attacks, hash and bliss. Reacts, tap, and we win. So fast, racking them in. Whether it's stacking the wing, holding back to the through the mid, cutting the seams. It seems we see anything to be. We got a ball and a dream. Got a ball and a dream. We do. I'm new, it's true. Effects you curl down for you, no doubt they do. Surrounding you about the views. Like shouting cues allowed to you without the dudes. Around my crews, I'll check the no excuse. Each session a lesson, it's not about profession. The work's the test and F's connected like a method. Not breathless after training, something's gotta be corrected. Rushing and acceleration at the start's most suggested. Infected with greatness, potential is spacious. Out the world, just face it. The work becomes contagious. Some may say we made it, but now we've just begun. Sorry if you hate it, because I can tell you that I'm far from done.